Today on the Miniature Models Podcast, we're heading up north and chatting with one of the coolest guys on Long Island, O'Gage Greg from the NLOE. What stokes his fire for the hobby? What's it like being part of a massive club like the NLOE? And most importantly, is the beard real? All this and more. So get your ticket from the station, grab a seat, make sure you don't miss the train. What? Good evening, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to episode 73 of the Miniature Models Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John Schwartz, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Johnny. How are we tonight? It's a lot emptier in the recording studio today, John. I think we've finally taken over we the have. show. It's now just John's. Yes, sadly, <laughs> uh, Matt R. and Matt Z. won't be joining us tonight because of work, uh, but hopefully they'll be able to join us for the next episode. Um, however, we do have a special guest and close friend of ours joining us tonight, and that is Mr. O'Gage Greg. Gregory, how are you doing tonight, sir? I am doing great. I am very happy to be the first guest on the John and John podcast. Uh, <laughs> may the Matt and Matt podcast rest in peace, and let's let's move forward. Oh my gosh! Yep, it's the John and John right now. Even though we're miniature models now, we we still have the John and John uh, squad here. So, uh, what you been up to lately, man? Like, what's um what's been going on in just your whole hobby world? Uh, my hobby world has been pretty good. Trying to get some work down at the NLOE club for any of the listeners who are like, what is NLOE? It is the Nassau Lionel Operating Engineers Club in Levittown, New York. Been around since 1983. And a big project I've been working on down there lately is getting our harbor up and running, getting some DCS going on there, getting some cool operation happening, and really trying to get back to running some trains and having a good time actually running stuff and busting out some stuff to run that's awesome man uh johnny what about you man what's been new with you and your just hobby land and exploits what's new oh gosh what have i been up to like every time we do a show i'm like uh i've done things what have (laughs) i done um well the biggest project i've been working on recently has been my layout tour video it's been something that people have been asking me for years now i've my layout definitely is not the same layout that it was um back then Back then, I was just like bare homosote and rail king buildings and flocking just dumped in random places. And now it's, 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 I'd say a pretty decent looking layout. So trying to film all of it has been a challenge. I, I love running trains. I love making videos. I hate filming trains. It, it is my least favorite thing in the world. And when you need to have so much B roll for it, I can't. <laughs> stand it. Pretty decent looking layout. The master of humility over here. My God. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can. Well, you get to to judge the the layout in person soon. So I'm I'm very excited to hear what your thoughts are when you get to see it in person, and it's not through a very photogenic edited. Oh, that's right. I can't wait. Yeah, both man, both you guys tonight have um are big big into scenery. This 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 will be a good show for um discussing scenery and layouts because I mean, Greg, like I said, you work with the um the NLOE, and uh, I mean, let's not let's be honest, you've had a pretty big influence over the scenery of that whole. I mean, that's a huge layout for no anyone who hasn't seen. That's a big layout. So having you guys both in here together, um, be some good discussion on that stuff. I'm interested to uh, to hear what you both think. So it uh, sounds like everybody's been doing pretty good. Uh, me personally, I have been extremely busy. Uh, new job recently, so I've been uh, 
you know swamped with that kind of stuff getting into that but as far as um as uh new train stuff just uh still been working on the two videos i gotta put out uh, it's like oh i have to edit videos as i go through the year i can't leave all the editing to the last minute so i've learned that i gotta do it um sooner you guys know how it is with editing stuff it just takes up so much time it's fun but it takes up a lot of time so those should be out soon hopefully but yeah so uh let's get like right into it now uh now that we've done the preliminaries uh let's begin and um well, let's just jump right in and ask the question that everyone is waiting to, you know, hear about. Uh, Greg, the beard. We ha- we have to know <laughs> the truth about it because I can't grow a beard to save my life. Like it just won't happen. I've tried. I did the cringy phase of chin beard and stuff and trying to be cool with facial. Nothing. It does not work. How? How? How and why? Tell us. It's one of those things that. You don't know if you're becoming the beard or the beard is becoming you. <laughs> you're a vehicle for the beard. I wasn't. Um, I wasn't always a big bearded guy before I met all of um, our whole online. I don't even know how to call us. Right? I guess we all met online through Instagram and YouTube and stuff like that. But I don't really think of you guys as my online friends anymore. But before that, I was a very clean-shaven young man. And I guess there was, you know, that period of time where, you know, we were all kind of stuck in our houses for a while and I just let it go and let it grow. And it's pretty much been my staple ever since. It is, it is quite magnificent. It is, um, it's some the people who do beards really well, like I'm kind of almost jealous of because it's like, you have such a cool, you can literally grow fashion on your face it's like how if you want to call it fashion oh it definitely is it absolutely it's like you can grow an accessory it's so cool um (laughs) i will say the the best part about the best part about having this beard though was the first time that i actually got to meet everybody in person i don't know what york it was it was a york way back york but i remember walking up and everyone was already already kind of gathered in a group and I come walking along and I heard somebody yell out, oh, here comes Greg. And I'll never forget because RBP, I kind of loudly said, I'd recognize that beard anywhere. <laughs> it does help identify. <laughs> and, that was the, and that was how, you know, the first time I got to meet him face to face. It was just, just a I great introduction. That. Yeah, I remember that moment. Because if you watch my vlog, you actually can hear that moment in the background. <laughs> uh, um. Because I think I think only Maddie, Maddie C, and obviously the guys from Long Island recognized you, but none of us had seen you really before because you you didn't really talk as much uh, on Discord with us at that time. Yeah, I was kind of um, just a lurker. Playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were just lurking, and and Maddie C was like, "Yeah, yeah, Greg from the club, Greg, Greg," and I was like, "Oh, okay, this this who's this Greg guy?" And to someone who has never seen Greg before, and you know, we're all just gathered around the the GFW trains uh, trailer. And you just see this guy with a big beard just walking up with all the confidence of the world. It's like, who the heck is this guy? <laughs> Greg! Oh, that's who that is. The, the New York and it was funny because I felt like I already know everybody, but everyone didn't really know me yet. I feel that, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, the New York energy. New Yorkers are very outgoing in general, very um, much extroverts from what I've seen. Um, so you guys are like <laughs> just fun people to be around. 
Yeah, we're awesome. <laughs> Screw the Midwest. New York rules. <laughs> yeah, and you're not shy about it that. <laughs> yeah, New York's the best, eh? What do you got? The Midwest? It's all flat and whatever. Yeah, we whatever. We got mountains. We got bagels. <laughs> we got pizza. Uh, we got a, you know, you got the wannabe Pennsylvania Railroad and the Long Island Railroad. <laughs> well, actually, let's take that as a way to segue into Perfect. trains, Greg. Um, how did you... How did you get into trains? You know, I know your your dad has an interest in trains as well. Can you can you tell me about how how you fell into the hobby? So growing up, my dad he was uh he was into trains. He had some post war stuff back in the back in the late seventies, early eighties when I came into the world, and I never really knew the exact moment that I got into trains until just this past Christmas. I found the exact moment in a photo that my dad sent me a picture of me. 11 months old, sitting under the Christmas tree with the Lionel UCS controller in my lap and a look of pure delight on my face. So I think that was the moment that it happened at at a balmy 10 months old. (laughs) That's such a nice thing to like actually be able to revisit that because you know how life is where you, you know, your mind fills up, you forget about certain things, even though they're kind of still in there. So the fact that you were able to have that moment and able to relive it like that, that's really something. That's awesome. And I think it's, I think it's just a photo that like my mom randomly took of my dad and I, and nobody probably knew what was happening at that moment, but deep down there was something in the back of my brain going, this is good. This is going to be your life. <laughs> just you wait. <laughs> yeah, so- just you wait and see how many brown box cars you're going to have. <laughs> oh, God. Um, the best. Yeah, so then by n- the next Christmas, um, a year later, I got, my first, uh, I got my first set. I got the MPC Heavy Iron set that was, that was bought from Trainland for Christmas 1981. And every year after that, you know, I'd always get more and more and more trains. And that was it. It was just, the trains were just always there until they want, then they came back. <laughs> that That is, um, you bring up a good point. That's one thing I'm almost a little jealous of with you Long Islanders, especially Long Islanders, is that that place is so, not saying old in like a derogatory way, like there's so much like generational heritage on that, that in that place, it's very unlike a lot of places in our country now that especially, well, at least for metropolitan areas where, um, you know, there's so much rebuilding and stuff and you get a lot of history erased. It's so nice there when you go up there, it's there's such a sense of like community. And the fact that, like you said, you got to go to Trainland. A place that's still around. Was it Train World or Train Land, did you say? It was always Train Land. Yeah, Train World was always in Brooklyn, and Train Land was always the one on Long Island. Yeah, in Limbo. that's so cool that you guys were able to go there. And you can still go there now. Like, that's such a great um, thing to be able to have. And uh, it's just it's such a nice thing about I like about Long Island, where you, you guys are up there. And we still have a lot of hobby shops. Um, right now, you know, we have... We have Trainland, we have Nassau Hobby, we have Willis Hobbies that isn't as much trains as they used to be. We have New York Electric Trains that's a little bit out east. There's Cross Hardware that I'm pretty sure still sells trains and a bunch of other random places. And we have more hobby shops right now on Long Island than I think some like three state areas have combined. Oh, I don't doubt it. Um, 
the other thing that's interesting that you just also made me think of the fact you have all those train stores see people that's what happens when you allow trains to stay a part of infrastructure because long island never really (laughs) got any of its stuff removed did it all the lines that were always in place are still there aren't they for the most part for the most part um but also too if you look back if if you go on youtube and you look at videos from like the 60s when all the railroads were selling long island was buying exactly and there's these beautiful videos of of long island alco diesels and they're pulling a string of kansas city southern and new york central coaches and they're pulling pullman sleepers that they had to convert to coaches it's just every railroad on earth was you know going through (laughs) going through jamaica and minneola on its way out east that's so cool that you guys have all that heritage there um and speaking of did you now you your dad had a layout as well is that correct like he i know you guys had the christmas tree but did he have a layout in like your guys house he had when i was very up until maybe i was three or four he had a ping pong table in the garage that was o gauge track with 072 curves that would fold like he was able to kind of you know fold it up and put it in the corner and we had that, and it's really amazing because we have so many photos of every moment in our lives, but there's still not, there's not one photo of that ping pong table layout, oh, which wow. just amazes me. That is interesting. We have, we've got tons of photos of, of, of trains under the tree and me with, you know, before I had a layout in my bedroom, me on the floor with my little circle of, of track. And it's never occurred to anybody to take a picture of that layout. So, you know, we had that and then we built a little four by eight in my bedroom and he took that one down because, you know, I had all the NPC stuff. He had mostly post-war, you know, O gauge, O27 gauge stuff. So that all ran really nice on my little O27 four by eight. And that suited us. Yeah, the, the that era of stuff is a great time to like get into it. I feel like a lot of the people who have grown up in that era... um have stuck with it really well and have then moved, you know, you kind of graduate on, but you still keep that love of the classic stuff. Cause that never really goes away, even though you, you graduate to scale and everything later on. Um, did you have a particular favorite thing that you really enjoyed running back then? Like what was like your go-to? My go-to was, and I, I still have it for my seventh birthday. My dad restored um, a six seventy five that i don't know where i remember seeing it one time when he got it and the thing was like a basket case and i remember him putting it on the track and just sparks coming out of it and it was one of those things like i saw it the one time and it was like all right that thing doesn't work and then months later on my birthday here comes it's beautifully restored 675 to my dad repainted reworked and everything on it and that was always i always thought of that as my big locomotive because i had the little npc for the, the 242 and that was tiny compared to this big, massive monster 675. So all I cared about was my big, <laughs> my big engine. <laughs> that's the, uh, that's and the, then, the, not the K4, right? It is the K4. Yeah. Like it's, the, a, it's kind the, of a the K4. prairie K4. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, the, the good enough. It's like, mom, can we get a K4? We have a K4 at home. The K4 exactly. we have at home. <laughs> the K4. Well, I, well, I got to ask Greg. So John, John brought this up. So you know, at some point, you know, most folks will will graduate to like scale. What what was your experience like 
getting into scale trains for the first time. What was your first scale piece? My first scale piece is, I don't know. Well, it's kind of interesting because I, I like everybody, got out of, I got out of trains from when I was like 13 until I was maybe like 22. Just, you know, didn't get into it. And right about then, around 2002, I decided I needed a hobby. Uh, 22 years old. I'm like, I need something to relax. <laughs> and we used to have the Greenberg train show at Hofstra University was like, to me as a kid, that was the equivalent of York. To, like, that show was always huge. And I decided to get back into trains and I went to that train show with knowing really just MPC stuff. And I saw an MTH premier FM train master. And this was right around the time that Proto 2 came out. And this particular one had Proto 1. And I had no clue what I was doing. And I way overpaid for a Proto 1 train master. <laughs> Which, by today's standards, isn't scale. But that had the scale, size, and presence to it. So that was kind of my first little dip. But I always ran. I was still running mostly post-war and MPC stuff for the first few years after that. Until MTH finally cataloged a Long Island G5. And they had originally cataloged it as number 28 uh, with a great air tank on the pilot. And I was so excited. But instead of doing that, they ended up doing number 39, which is one of the kind of half-preserved G5s. And I got that. And as soon as I had my first scale Proto 2 Premier steam engine, I was like, yeah, those MPC cars are not going to work anymore. <laughs> it's the uh the scene from toy story i don't want to play with you anymore yeah it's like i got the passenger cars to go with that and then and then really what really set it off i, I wish i could remember the lionel catalog that it was in but lionel had that weird catalog that they had a supplemental catalog in the middle where they had the mikado and the baby k4 and the consolidation and i think a shade oh yeah that was that like they weren't able to that was early 2000s. I remember that. And that's frightening. And I got <laughs> the, I bought the New York Central Consolidation out of that, which was a scale engine. And it was, it was like dirt cheap. It was like $300 pre-order price. And I needed some scale freight cars to go with that. And that just, having those two engines, then just, I, I started, you know, I, I started saving up a little bit more to buy a scale car than, you know, just buying a cheap MPC car. And the more scale cars I got, you know, the less <laughs> traditional one. It just built and built and built. And by the time I realized that I was researching prototypical consists and trains and reading the reporting markings on the sides of the boxcars to make sure that they would work in the consist with the trains that I'm doing and keeping track of my road numbers so I never had doubles, I was in way over my head and thought, <laughs> if only I was an HO, but I'm way too deep. No, <laughs> that's no, the no, point no. of no return. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We love our HO, um, HO friends, but yeah, no, O-Gage, man, I, I feel you. Once the spreadsheet gets started, that's it. There's no going back. <laughs> <laughs> but I still love I a lot know. of that. You know, there's still a lot of MPC stuff that I really want to get my hands on. And recently, I think, over the last couple of years, there's been a big resurgence in interest in MPC. Um, that you know, there's been a few guys on YouTube that really kind of showcased a lot of pieces and I think made the beauty of MPC more known to people. So a lot of the sets that 
you know, six years ago, I could have bought for 50 bucks or now, you know, 350 bucks. Oh, yeah, it's because, I mean, just like with post-war stuff, people like you who grew up with it are now coming of age, you know, and you want to, you know, get back into some of the other stuff because, you know, everything goes in cycles. So, um, you know, I, I can totally understand why it's going back up. Like, you know, RBP has done a lot of stuff on MPC um, and Brendan's going to kill me if I don't say it's also fun dimensions not just npc um he, he you you know him you know <laughs> but i know but i but i call fun dimensions npc oh yeah no, i feel like he might have i feel like he corrected me on that once oh yeah and it was i you know he got very serious for a second oh, yeah, he's like no it's only this time period but this time period, but this until this point but then it's called this up to this point it's like yeah npc is just more fun to say um acronyms are fun he's like, he's like do you want me to cut you <laughs> um yeah no and he's you know he's done a lot with um with uh promoting actual mpc and fun dimensions as well but there, there is a lot of really good stuff that's you know it's just as reliable as the post-war stuff is and you know equally as uh you know as as beautiful if not more so in some cases like i mean the blue comet you can't have a traditional scale blue comet in that style anywhere else but in the general mills fundamentions era so yeah, there's a lot of good stuff in there. I mean, I do scale. I still have a ton of stuff from my uh, my previous traditional collection, so I totally get that. Plus, to kind of just circling back to the you know growing up with it aspect, when the daylight set came out, and I want to say like around like 1985, 1986 ish, that set was like a thousand dollars. Oh yeah, and this is like in you know, and that wasn't cheap. So no. the idea of being a kid having one of those sets that was in the first few pages of the catalog, that wasn't happening. Yeah. You know, Santa Claus wasn't bringing you that set because no. who could who could afford it? Yeah, exactly. And that's like the first daylight of that time too, like the first O scale or O gauge daylight. Technically, we never exactly. got that. Yeah. If, if I remember correctly, and even later on um, into the '90s, right? You know, I'll never forget when Lionel came out with the Scale Turbine in 1990 or 1991. There was this little hobby shop that was a mini Olanger turbine. I can't even remember the name of it, but it was awesome. It was like packed with stuff, and I remember going in there and seeing the turbine, and I was like, "That's what I want for Christmas." Look at this thing; it's huge. And I think it was like maybe eleven, twelve hundred dollars for that engine. And I'll never forget my mom telling me, that's not a toy. That's something that if you work really hard, when you retire, you'll be able to have the money to buy something like that. When you retire <laughs> and not before. Oh, my God. So that's like, yeah. So like I'm 10 years old and my mom's like, listen, in 55 years, if you really bust your ass, <laughs> you can buy this. Hey, man. That's what you got to do. Honestly, the thought of train of, of the trains I can buy, that's what keeps me, uh, keeps me getting up every morning, going to work, you know? Yeah. And when people tell me now, you know, when, when, when Lionel or MTH comes out and everyone's like, oh, it's $12,000, the pricing me out of a hobby. Like, are you kidding me? Like, it's cheaper now. If anything, yeah, you're getting more for your money. It's, it's, um, you're getting way more for your money. Yeah, it's the opposite of shrinkflation where prices stay the same, but you get less product. You're getting more product, you know, again, like you said, exactly. the daylight. What was in that? Uh, a chuffing, smoke, a light, and a, and I think a whistle. Like, that's it. And it was analog. And no the chuffing was the mighty sound of steam, yep. which was just basically telephone static with an interrupter. Exactly. It does work. Though. Which the first yeah. time I heard that, the first time I heard that in real life as a kid, 
I was like, oh my God, it's a real locomotive. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> we were so desperate for sounds back then that even television static and that terrible whistle, but it, like every like old TM video, you just hear that <clears throat> whistle oh, over yeah. and over again. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I got many flashbacks. To yeah, we grew, John, I think you and I grew up pretty spoiled because we we both of you and I grew up with Proto too. Yes, my first set was uh, I think my first set was one of the first Proto two sets. I mean, it was like emblazoned on the box. Proto two train name of the train down the box. Proto two. It's like when you see those old um <laughs> records, um you know, like from the whenever Stereo was coming out. You know, I think this is a James May joke, but I'm gonna steal it. It's like you know. You know, Beethoven playing Fox Classic Stereo. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's that big thing. Uh, yeah, no, we were absolutely spoiled, Johnny. Which, um, you know, I kind of, I, I had reverse, I had the reverse of Greg's. Th- I don't know about you personally, Johnny, but uh, I had like the reverse of Greg's thing where he went from the basic and then it was like, oh my God, this, the, the, the overwhelming senses of scale. I went from like Rail King, you know, you and I both had Rail King growing up and then we, um, you know, we had sound, we had digital control, everything. Um, I got into post-war for its like simplicity and just like the, the nakedness of it. It was like, this is so like, um, like fundamental. This is such like a, a base level thing. It was refreshing in a way. Um, and then obviously got back into scale over time because you kind of hit a glass ceiling because like Greg, you kind of said to, you kind of hit a glass ceiling with um, traditional that you can't really go past. If you want to be a, if you want to model like model stuff, Um, there's just things that can't do for you. Um, So I totally get that. But yeah, it's funny the, the different ways that, you know, the generations go through things. Looking to expand your collection? Check out Trains.com. Trains is your go-to place for new and used model railroad products. They have everything ranging from engines, rolling stock, parts, track, and scenery. If you need it, they probably have it. With new discounts being added daily, you'll be sure to find something you like. Plus, Trains offers a newsletter which keeps you up to date on new items, discounts, and upcoming promotions. We've been using Trains for years, and we highly recommend their stellar service. What's really cool is you can also collect points by buying Trains and using them on future purchases. With their awesome rewards program, you can earn points on every purchase that you can use for future discounts. Dedicated modelers can also join their private car membership to get exclusive access to new listings, earn 5 points per dollar spent, and unlock great benefits like no questions asked returns. Trains not only sells trains, but also buys them too. If you've got a large collection or are interested in downsizing and making some cash, you can head on over to sellmytrains.com. It doesn't get easier than that. You can find them using our affiliate link, www.trains.com slash M-M-O-P or if you want to use our one-time promo code M-M-O-P, you can get $10 off a single purchase on the trains.com website. So, check out trains.com and start expanding your collection today. Yeah, I think I'm more like Greg in that regard. I, I had, you know, Rail King growing up and I had my O27, you know, Lionel Burke and all that wonderful stuff. Um, But I do remember having a similar experience in terms of when you finally see your scale piece and then you you put it side by side with what you had my exact moment of that was not not when i had my s3 ironically enough it wasn't a locomotive that did that for me it was rolling stock specifically passenger cars 
I had had these tiny O27 Rail King full-length Vista domes. And I thought those were brilliant, you know, interiors, lights, double-deckers, you know, how, what more could a kid want? And then I got my first Rail King Imperial Daylight cars. One, it was fulfilling the need of wanting daylight cars. I wanted for all my, you know, childhood life. And two, that they were significantly larger than the little shorty Rail King cars. So it was like, oh my God, these are the best things ever. Then I got Premier cars. And then I'm like, well, these are the best things ever. Then I moved to K-Line, which ruined all of my Rail King Daylight cars. And I had to rebuy the entire <laughs> set in K-Line Aluminum. And then I bought them in K-Line Aluminum. And then I saw Golden, Ge Golden Gate Depot. So it just, it, it just keeps going up and up and up. But... I do remember after seeing that, you know, even that shorty uh, K-Line business car compared to my Rail King cars and the, the difference in detail and paint and quality and size, it was just a case where I'm like, I just, I just can't go back. You know, I, I got to keep moving up that ladder. Absolutely. Yeah. The, once you get to that point where it's just like, yeah, I can't go back. Like I have, I have been fundamentally changed. You can't, you, you little, yeah, you can't go home. The old saying, you can't go home again. You can't, and you know what's what's really funny because I'm a big I'm a big Golden Gate Depot twenty one inch, you know everything's got to be scale and got to be the right consist and has to be the right car. But it's funny that I I was just thinking back when when you were talking about the Rail King cars when I was in fifth grade, I got a six car set of Lionel New York Central passenger cars, and they were those basic O twenty seven streamlined cars that you know the one that they've used forever. And when I got them home and set them up on my layout, there was the, the six car set was always on a curve. And I was always thinking like, oh my God, this set is so amazing that it doesn't even fit on the straightaway, man. Like it's always on a curve. <laughs> <laughs> and the joy that I got from that, and it's funny too, because now with, you know, getting like a scale Broadway limited or, or 20th century limited, it's kind of, it's not chasing that same feeling, but a lot of it is, it's kind of bringing back that same feeling of looking at something that in, in your perspective is so much bigger than you could ever imagine it being. So having a six car set of 027 cars in fifth grade versus being a grown man and running, you know, 20 Golden Gate Depot coaches is the kind of thing I like to do now. <laughs> it's just so <laughs> immense and a little side story to that um before i was a member of nloe i grew a friend of mine that i grew up with his father was a member of the club when they were in their old location before they moved and he used to let us kind of bring trains down so i used to i got a couple of opportunities to run my trains on a big club layout when i was a kid like fifth sixth grade and I got to run that passenger car set on a club layout. And the first time I saw it, totally in a straight line, not on a curve, blew my mind. I know that exact feeling. I know that exact feeling. Here in, in the in the Shaitan the group, we not many of us have huge, huge layouts. Um, and we've only been recently able to run really long trains at our buddy um, Rafe. He's a member of our community. Um, he has his trade bunker, which he graciously, you know, allows us to use as a kind of like a private club almost. And we all contribute and, you know, work on the layout together and being able to run a full pasture train, 21 inch pasture train on a layout of that size, you know, it's, it's not humongous, but it's pretty large layout. 
like for example, my vision line lark, you know, my vision line GS pulling the full lark consist. That is a huge consist. Or my sunset limited, you know, Alco PAs, um, ABA set with the baggage, with all the twenty-one inch cars and the observation. You know, that 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 set's too big for my layout. You know, it, it starts chasing its tail and it looks ridiculous. So I have to half the train. But getting to run that on a huge club layout on curves that don't make it look ridiculous, it, it's a completely different feeling. It, it's it may sound like it's something really small because like oh it's just it's just curves you know what what difference does that make or oh the train gets to stretch out or whatever. But it, it's it's so much more than that and it's so much more fun. It really is, and even having somebody's home that everyone can get together at or being a part of a modular club that gives you that big area to stretch your legs or being in a club that's in a basement that's at an 80 foot long layout. It really does. I don't know. I don't even know really how to say it, but it's, it's so much different than running it at home and you're kind of doing it together with other people. That makes it even a little bit more fun. It's dynamic. That's what's great about it. It's like you said, it's getting, just getting to see it in a different setting where it's, it's almost like, um, Oh, what's a good analogy? It's almost like, um, I don't know. It's like seeing yourself maybe in like imagining, you know, it's like in your head, you know, it's like, I always imagined it this way. This is how I pictured. It looks real. It's like, this looks real. This is what I am trying to model at home. I can actually see it in full. Like, I mean, this is a great segue into the NLOE, which uh, we definitely want to talk about with you. But I remember going there for the first time and just you step into that and the whole world disappears when you're down there. It's like, you just get it's very immersive because that's one of the things I, I always that's one of my keywords put the immersion word counter on um <laughs> we uh the way <laughs> i can't stop not say it um the fact you have this like this if for anyone who hasn't seen the nlu layout look it up on youtube greg will promote it uh obviously at the end of the show here but it's amazing it's a wonderful place um it's it, like you get tired you get a workout walking around that layout it is that big you can't see either end of it when you are in that room and the fact you have the sky painted all over the wall and the lighting it's just such an amazing place it feels like a real world which is one of the best things that a layout can possibly do and to see your train on it um especially if you have a really nice scale consist um like you said, I mean, when I got to take my um, my BNO Colombian um, when I still had it there for the first time, it's like I have never put this train together with this locomotive, and like being able to see it and actually the fact that you're actually able to run the train like a real train, you actually have to you don't have to worry about the speed as much on like a curve, like oh I have to take this curve gently or this like you have to actually like drive your train on that layout like a real engineer. You have to block it, you have to think about the throttle, you have to think about signals ahead, you have to think about you know. Like you have to think about what the next scale mile of track is going to have on it. If I need to slow down, if I need to, you know, start, you know, opening it up for the grade up ahead, like all that kind of stuff is so fun. You just get lost in it. It's like a casino down there, but for trains, there's no one is time just vanishes and you just get sucked into the layout, which is so amazing. So, um, yeah, I mean, Johnny, you just got to go there for the first time, if I'm not mistaken, uh, last summer. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, 100%. That layout is, I am so envious. I wish we had a layout of that size and that level of detail here in Chicago. I, I know we have CLRC, and they're, they're a great group of guys, but, you know, it's not, 
it's not what I'm looking for in terms of like if it was a layout for myself and NLOE is more a layout that I would enjoy running on and I had a, a blast uh, just enjoying myself running my cab forward there and my mogul. Uh, to kind of piggyback off what you said, John, I think a big part of it when it comes to running a long consist on someone else's layout and especially a club layout like NLOE is our train trains are meant to go somewhere. You know, and yeah, they they go somewhere on our layout, but eventually, it's it's our home layouts. We kind of get, you kind of get used to it. We see it all the time. Heck, heck, a lot of us, you know, live with it. You know, so when you get to run your train on someone else's layout, it feels like the train went somewhere, and that you are, as you said, immersed in that kind of thing. NLOE is even more impressive for that because the track plan is so well done. Because it's not just this, it doesn't suffer from follow the tableism that a lot of us have on our own lights. My layout is very much that. It's a racetrack, if I'm being honest. And it weaves through the mountains. You pass through towns and through, through, through yards and multiple yards through the engine servicing facility, climb up the grade, you know, um, weave in and out of tunnels. It's the train goes somewhere and you are traveling with it. And when you run with other people, you know, the, the club has uh, radio sets that you, you carry with you, that you communicate with the dispatcher or with other crew members, you know, other people running their trains to coordinate. It is like being part of it. The thing that I like the most about it is depending on how much effort that you want to put into it or with the group of people you're with, it is the closest I think you can get in O scale or O gauge, you know, whatever you want to, I don't want the two railers coming after us, but in terms of our scale, where you can get almost HO level of running session, which is oh, what definitely. I thought was amazing. That's a great oh. analogy for it, Johnny. Just to kind of just, I, when you were just, what you said, only, the only thing that comes to my mind was last summer when everyone came to visit. And I tell so many people about this, when Sid and Burnsy had their Norfolk and Western train that they were running. And I think they had like a class A and a Y6B in front and a Y3 in the back pushing and they weren't running them as a lash-up. I think, like, one of them was running the two engines in the front, and one of them was running the two of them in the back. And they were, like, navigating the layout, operating the locomotives. And that just made me... The fact that it was working, and it looked so cool, it just made not just, you know, the effort of, of getting it ready for, for friends to come down and run, but realizing that when, when people care and put the work in and make make everything the best you can is the only time you can do something like that where you can have two people pushing and pulling a train and it's not going to buckle and break and it, you know having guys that know what they're doing helps too oh definitely um shameless plug you will be able to see uh dear listeners you'll be able to f- see that sequence in full on my part two 2023 year in review video coming out soon you can watch that exact scenario he just described in beautiful HD with a fantastic soundtrack added. Yeah, there was a lot. There was, was a lot of good trains running that day too. Oh yeah, that was a great time. Oh my gosh, I just, I'm just remembering when I had to do impromptu helper slash switching service for Chicago Jason because he had brought his brand new third rail like units, CB and QE units. And he brought the most pitifully short passage rate I've ever seen, which is just two Golden Gate Depot heavyweights behind, you know, an AB set of units. And I think it was on the far side of the layout, right after, right during like the 
the like, well, I don't know how to describe it. It's like a station that's like right before the grade. And he has Golden Gate Depot couplers, which have not been rubber banded shut. So they are the worst things in the world. And halfway up the pathway through the station in a place where no one can reach at all, he uncouples from his train. And I have to halt my cab forward, which is going at mainline speed. And I have to wait for Jason to back up and attempt to couple up to his train. But because his couplers were so pitiful, they refused to couple back up again. So no one could get to the... He had fouled the whole main line with his train. And I couldn't move. And eventually, I just got so fed up with it that I took my cab forward and I gently just shoved the passenger cars towards him. And he, very embarrassed, put the train back together, started going another... I'd say maybe 12 feet and then lost his cars again. You know, what's great about that, Johnny, that's probably more real, more of a realistic operation than most of the things we were doing that day. The fact that all of that happened exactly the way it happened is probably how things would have gone in real life. And and here's a lesson to be learned by some of our friends and listeners of this podcast who will probably be listening to this episode. You don't have to climb on the layout to get your stuff and step on signals <laughs> and knock over the trees that Greg made. <laughs> you guys know who you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um yeah, man. That's um <laughs> God. <laughs> that. Um so like let's uh just continue with the NLOE here. Um so just, you know, tell us a little bit about your history with it, history of the club in general, and how you've just maybe kind of seen it change over the time you've been in it. Okay. So my history goes back probably to the to the early 80s. The club originally was about maybe two miles away from where we are now. Um, it was in a basement of the basement of the Medical Arts Building on Wolcott Road in Levittown. And being a kid and being into trains, the open house in December at that club was like my calendar revolved around that. And there was no internet. So the only way that we knew when the show was going to happen on the main road, they would put up a gigantic sign about a month before that had all the dates. And you kind of had to know the sign was there to even see it or else you drive right past it. So every year knowing, all right, in the, in the beginning of December, it's going to happen. So going there as a kid was huge. And now that layout was maybe a quarter of the size of the layout we have now. And even back then, it was, it was probably one of the biggest club layouts for that time. And it was just, it was larger than life. It was incredible. And it's funny now because I look back at old pictures of it. And it's all NPC stuff running. <laughs> you think of it as this huge, giant scale layout. And it wasn't, um, it kind of brings into perspective of being a kid and, and watching it and being into it. And um, like I mentioned earlier, um, a friend of mine's father, who still is a member of the club, uh, was a member back then. And I was into trains and his, he was, his son was into trains. You know, we were buddies. So every now and again, we'd get to go down and, and run stuff, and that was cool. And one of the last times I remember going to an open house at that location, I'll never forget it was when the Lionel Scale Mohawk 
came out in the early 90s. And somebody had that engine set up and they had probably 18-inch passenger cars. I don't know who would have made them at that time, but they, to me, they were gigantic. And I remember seeing it at the station and saying to the guy, like, hey, can you run that? And he was like, yeah, kid, we'll, we'll, we'll run it. Just wait. <laughs> Waiting for what seemed like forever. And then finally, they're like, all right, we're going to run this engine. I've never seen an engine take off faster out of a station. <laughs> that one did. <laughs> and it was gone. And I was, it was kind of like, I learned a lesson that day. <laughs> but that kind of stuck with me. And, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of circle back around to that story. Um, so fast forward a few years later, um, you know, the time I was, really wasn't that into trains. My dad still kept up and they had lost that layout. They were doing construction on the building. The layout got damaged and they had to leave. And my dad had called me up and said, oh, remember that layout we used to go to? You know, in Classic Toy Trains, they had an article that it got destroyed and it's gone. And I was like, oh, you know, that's too bad. It's gone forever. And when I started kind of getting back into trains around, you know, like maybe like 2000, when I really started getting into about 2002, 2003, I thought to myself, like, oh, man, what ever happened to those guys? I wonder if they ever built a new layout. And I did some searching online and I found a really bad website that had like three photos. Like, hey, we're building a new layout. Two pictures of scenery. I was like, oh, man, that's cool. And for like two or three years, I would check back and nothing was ever updated on the website. I was, I thought to myself, oh, man, they must be like done with that layout by now. So in 2006, I reached out to them and said, hey, you know, I'm a young guy. I'm into trains and I want to come down. And I expected to walk in and see a finished layout. And it was far from that. <laughs> so... It was all open grid bench work. Three little scenes had been scenic. And one of the loops that stretches the whole layout was done. And I realized that I was still in a position to be on the ground floor to build something huge and be a part of something from the beginning. And I got into it and I jumped in with two feet knowing nothing. I didn't know anything about building, wiring, anything. I knew how to put a circle of track and put a lock on it. And it was a couple of really cool guys that took me in and said, hey, I'm going to teach you the right way to put lumber together and build a structure. Hey, I'm going to show you the right way how to wire something. When the whole scenery thing came around, I was like, hey, I want to do scenery. A couple of guys said, hey, I'm going to show you, you know, the way, like some, some methods. And it was, I, I think I just came in there at the perfect age, at the perfect time, and ready to learn. And that's how I got so involved with the construction of it. And the reason why, I like to joke and say that, you know, I, I did all the scenery on the layout, which, which isn't true. It, it's a lot of guys did a lot of work. But I had my hands in almost every single scene on that layout, which is pretty cool. And to kind of step back and look at it now, and look like, be like, oh man, look at what we did. It, it's a lot of what we did, but a little tiny bit of, oh, look at what I did. Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> like, I think of that. And it's land. more we than I. And it's it's definitely more we than I. But it's just, it, it's such a good feeling 
And I wish, like John, like what you were saying, coming in there, seeing it, almost a layout's never complete. Blah 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 blah. But that's that's a done layout. Oh yeah, I was gonna say I'm envious of the people that get to see it for the first time. <laughs> yeah, man. Like I think of that as like that's Greg's layout. Like I think, oh, what's Greg's layout? Oh, Greg is like I think of that as your layout <laughs> essentially. Like that is Greg's 100%. Greg plus the club. <laughs> not to it's, not it's, insult any members of the club, but like that's just because you're the framework of that. Like that's how I think about it. It, and, and I know it's it, I present it that way, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not. Which, which to my friends and, and to all of us, I like to say that. But it, oh yeah, it's definitely it's a group effort. And kind of coming back to um, with the operation of the layout, what you guys were saying with um, with the track plan making sense early on, a core group of guys that were instrumental in designing that layout decided we want to make a functioning model railroad, not loops that are just running around. Every switch, every turnout that's on that layout is very specifically placed in that spot. And a lot of guys that kind of come in and that are learning how to run the layout are saying like, oh man, there should have been a switch here because then I can go from here to here easier. Or like, why is this turnout only facing this way? And if you don't really know all the function, you'd think like, oh yeah, there should have been a crossover there going the other way. But then when you realize like, well, you don't really need one there because it's over on the other side to bring you into the station and you can come in and out of the station going either direction and go to either one of the mains. When you come out of the yards and where the crossovers all are, all function, not just for the yards, but also for the sidings and for any of the industries. And it's all like perfectly in line and if you kind of follow your finger around, if I need to get from here to here, it's like elegant the way that you get from one spot to another. Every now and again, it's like, all right, guys, you should, you really should have put that crossover over here. But <laughs> that's, that's anything. And, and there's a couple of places that we've looked back and said, oh, you know what? We should really just add a couple of switches here and just make it easier for everybody. Looking for something different? Need a gift for a fellow rail fan? Well, folks, look no further. NPL Customs is your source for all railroading decor. Handcrafted, made in the USA, and veteran-owned. Their products made for rail fans by rail fans. I personally have a set of coasters from them that I absolutely love. Find them on Etsy at NPL Customs and use code MMPODCAST at checkout to save 10%. NPL Customs, quality since 2017. get that completely greg um in terms of where you're coming from with with, with track plans and, and all that um like i said we have the, the train bunker with rafe right now and you know we're we're at the stage where we finally settled out like you know rafe has graciously you know funded all the 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 space and the bench work and everything quite literally and he's just his his only request is that we just kind of help him and you know it's fun to enjoy the hobby of other people but when it came to the track plan we had we, we have a bench work that just kind of goes around you know it's a walk around the square rectangular room kind of situation so there isn't too much you know room for variation of like winding turns and, and stuff like that like you would at NLOE but we it was a real challenge to figure out how do you make a track plan like that fun that is more than just chase the train around the room more than just a, a an oval I mean it is an oval in the in essence but um when uh 
Tim and I were working the track plan. He was really struggling. And basically, I, we one day we went there, and I just took a piece of paper, and I started drawing. And I was like, look, I, I want to have something more than just let's chase the train. Let's have some operations where people can be doing multiple things at a time. And it, it kind of runs like a real railroad. So we had, like, the two main lines that are going around the entire room. And then we have our yard. But we plan the yard in a fashion where the yard can – someone can independently work the yard and switch trains. And the yard also trails off to the industrial district where someone could – you have two guys running the mains. You have one guy who is running – who's switching trains in the yard and then another person who can take trains from the yard to the industrial district switch out industries there and then he can pop onto the main line and switch out other industries on the main line it's very calculated in terms of that to get the maximum amount of operations out of the layout without having to compromise other people's enjoyment and let them if there's a guy who just wants to go on the main and go in circles he can still do that but if someone wants to run trains and switch out you know freight cars or to have a short local train that's what they can do and i i love when layouts like especially like your your club layout there that has that because it makes it so much more fun to run so i was watching um a video of, of an ho layout on youtube the other day the guy was talking about his his plan his direction and he was saying that being an ho guy how operating is such a big thing and having operating sessions is so huge amongst that crowd that just like running and like loop running it's kind of frowned on. And the way that he put it was like so perfectly that he said he wanted to build a layout that could do operations, but also he could rail fan. And I thought about that. I'm like, that is like the perfect description. Cause when you think about like, like running around in loops, it's going around and around in circles. But if you have areas and like, and like different vignettes and different places you can look that you can just kind of decide, oh, I'm going to hang out here. I'm not going to watch the train go around and around in a circle. I'm going to hang out here and wait for it to come by. And like, you know, you're rail fanning your own layout and then doing some switching too. It's such a cool kind of concept that I think towards building a big layout or even a small layout that you can have that, have a little bit of operation, have a little bit of just running around. Oh, totally. That's, it's, it's extremely important. Mm -hmm. That's a great, um, yeah, it's a great way of putting it, being able to rail fan your own lap because I mean, we've all done that before, you know, you kind of hunker down in a certain spot and like, you can definitely do that on the NLOE layout. There are so many, like you said, great vignettes and that goes along with scenery work too. If you can immerse yourself that much where you really like, yeah, this is somewhere I want to hang out and actually like photograph and run my stuff. It's, it's hard to build a really good model railroad because, you know, we do all this kind of backwards in a way where, you know, the real world, you have a need and then you build the railroad to fill it. You get got to go over to this industry because it's there. It's already been there. You got to build the railroad over to it or you have to build it between these two cities. You have to kind of work backwards with a model railroad. You're building the railroad, but there's nothing there. You have to kind of like do both things at the same time. You have to plan the railroad to serve the needs of a place that doesn't really exist. And you have to build the place to make the railroad that you're building at the same time interesting. It's kind of the old joke of the lantern and the trash pile in the road. Why is the, you know, why is there, you know, why is there a lantern so you can see the trash pile? Why is there a trash pile? So there's something to hold the lantern up. It's, it's, um, it's kind of funny how we do this, but um, yeah, it's, it's, that's a great, um, that's a great way of thinking about it. Um, just one quick thing. I just have to get a little bit of NLU nostalgia in. 
um, talking about running on it and everything. The first I was ever exposed to the NLOE and how big it was. I don't know who filmed this video. It might have been you, Greg. Um, but it was a video from a long time ago. The layout is a lot of plywood. It's a video of it's out of the rear of a train and a K, a streamlined torpedo, K4 torpedo on a Penzi passenger train oh, is chasing. That was all mine. Was it one of yours? Yeah. yeah was chasing oh the God. train with the camera. And I would just watch that video and try to, I was like, oh my God, the layout is still going. This is another That's new what... place. It still hasn't ended yet. I would try to figure That's out what... when the train That's... was lapping itself. I was like, it still hasn't lapped yet. Back before YouTubers took over O-Gage Railroading, <laughs> when there was like three people posting, yeah, if you guys, uh, hey, listeners, if you want to look up on uh, YouTube, uh, MTH Golden Gate Depot Torpedo, I don't even know the title of it. Now we'll put a link. But I made that, <laughs> that video. When I like posted that, it was like, it got like 10,000 views in like one day. I'm like, oh man, people like trains. But the work that went into that, so that was, some guy came up with a laser cut kit that held an iPhone 4. Oh, my God. Like, it dropped into 4. it. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, and it only holds an iPhone 4. Oh and then it had, like, a mirror oh on it. So that video was actually filmed. I threw a mirror backwards, and then in post, I had to reflip it. So we had a whole – that whole thing was completely scripted. And I was running the K4 on one DCS remote, and I had another guy was running a diesel with the sounds turned off that was pulling the camera car and we had it all planned out that when like the train passes the camera when the camera comes past stopping in the station doing the station announcements doing that all we, we tried to get it all in one shot there's a couple of you know a couple of cuts in there but that was yeah that was cool i want to do that again I gotta, I gotta ask you about this, Greg, because this is, this has been your most recent project in terms of you know videos and such. How was it filming the uh, the switching video that you recently did on your channel? It was the parts that I had another guy down there helping me were awesome. So <laughs> it's funny. There's one part in the beginning when I'm coming out of the uh, the roundhouse and coupling up. If you look really hard in the background, you can see uh, my buddy Dave. Who's an NLOE guy? You could see his head kind of popping up out of the panel. And that was one of those things, too, that I said to him, like, all right, we're going to come out of the roundhouse, and I need you to throw this switch, this switch, this switch. Then I'm going to stop. Then I'm going to blow the whistle. Then I'm going to come up to here. Then I'm going to stop. Then I'm going to ring the bell. Then I'm going to blow the whistle. You have to, when I blow the whistle, throw this switch, we're going to back up. And it was all <laughs> so perfectly planned. <laughs> Yeah, you, you do a and that's I think that's the way to do it. Like you need, yeah, you need help, and especially on a big layout like that, you can't you, you can't do it. By no, yourself. you can't be a filmmaker and a um and a, an engineer at the same time. And uh, I have yet to go watch that video. I need to see that one actually. But yeah, man, your your video quality is is great. If anyone, um, I don't know if either of you have seen this. I might have shown you, Johnny, Greg. Have you seen um the film Broadway Limited from 1941? It's a Hal Roach film. I've seen parts of it. The opening. I've seen yeah. the parts with the train. Yeah. The opening to that <laughs> film and the scenes in that are what your video with that K4 remind me of. Like it's, if you, if anyone wants to, the opening is on YouTube. Look, search up Broadway limited from 1941. After you watch Greg's video, 
it's the same thing. It's literally the same vibe. So funny, funny story about that. There was, I was, I, w- I went to visit my dad one day and he happened to be watching that movie. And there was one external shot of the train that came on and he had it on DVR. I'm like, I'm like, wait, I'm like, well, why that? Pause it. And he brings it back. And it was the Streamline K4. And you could see a BM70 baggage car and then the rest of the train. And I'm like, see, I'm like, that's the third rail BM70 that I've been trying to find. <laughs> and I've been hunting it down and you can't get it. And I could have had it. And I didn't buy it because it was like $600. That must, that must, it was like $6 million at the time. And it was like the first time, like my dad, like turned to me and he was like, nerd. <laughs> you. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, it's a baggage car. Who like, are yeah. You? I'm like, it's an RPO. <laughs> I have no son. <laughs> it was like a little bit of like, it was a little bit of like, what have I done? <laughs> What have I unleashed onto the world? <laughs> what have I creation? <laughs> like, like he regretted handing me that UCS controller at that point. It's that scene in uh, Mega Mind. Rise, my glorious creation, rise. <laughs> um, yeah, man, the freaking club and all that is so um, cool. And you have had a big hand personally. I mean, the club has a big history with. Um, custom runs and cars but you have had a little bit of a hand yourself so um as a segue here um tell us about some of your your history with club cars and the club's history with club cars and custom runs so the club has a long history with club cars going back to probably 1984 they were buying kind of surplus Lionel cars so the first NLOE club car was a repaint. I don't know if you've ever seen in the MVC era, they did those NHL boxcars where they had like, it was back when they had like, um, I can't even remember the names of the divisions. Oh, edit this part out. <laughs> Let me start over. <laughs> oh yeah, you're fine, man. Do, do your three, two, one. No, we're keeping okay, this. Keep this we're in here. Keep this in here. Because uh, yeah, it was like, it's like the Patrick division of the Wales division. Yeah, Lionel made a stupid box car for the Patrick division of the Wales division of the NHL. They're, keep this whole thing in Yeah, they're famous, for, um, they're famous for um, being fodder for customs because no, literally no one wants them. <laughs> if yes. they do, I'm so, sorry. They just do. It's a fact. Yeah, so the, the very first NLE club car was made from those NHL box cars. And it was made just for the members, and the number of the cars it was made was made just for the members. And for the first probably five or six years, all of the first club cars were repaints, and they were made, you know, very close to the quantity of the membership until the 10th anniversary when the club did a Long Island RS3 that I could be. I'm pretty sure Lionel decorated all the parts for the engine, but they did ship them to the club. I'm not sure if the decoration was done by a third party or if it was done by Lionel, but the club was shipped those engines in parts and they built them at the club. Um, there's some pretty cool pictures of that. And I think right after that was when Lionel started making the cars actually for the club. And at that time, they did a passenger set also. I think it's 14 cars in a passenger set. And some of them 
Lionel sold the club blanks, and they were decorated. Some were decorated, I think, by Weaver. Sunset Valley, which was an outfit that used to do custom runs, did some of the decoration. And Lionel did some of them. And they did two variations of the baggage car, the big door, the small door. They did the full-length Vista Domes, one of the full-length Vista Domes. And they did the... Um, Oh, what's the name of the observation car that the Milwaukee Road has with the big bubble on it? The um, Sky Top or something? Johnny, you know that. Sky Top. Is it... Yeah. I think it's Sky so Top, yeah. So there might be a little bit of controversy between the um, the TCA Sky Top observation car and the NLOE Sky Top observation car. I really want to check the records and see which one came out first. But they both came out around the same time, and that was of a new tooling that was newly made for custom runs that found its way into the regular catalogs. Yeah, that was like before they so, did the Hiawatha one, right? Like you guys were one Way first. before. Yeah, so it was a combination of, again, so I've had people from the club tell me that the NLOE were the ones that made that happen. I've had people tell me that the TCA version was in the works first. Who cares? <laughs> Just goes to show that things can change and things can be made from club cars and custom runs. So when I joined the club in 2006, or 2005, 2006, they were just coming out with a box car. And it was kind of, it's kind of cool, kind of goofy, kind of stupid. The next one that we did in 2007 was a PC Richard travel on flat car. And I had just started working in printing when I started, when I had joined the club. So I did a little bit of, like I kind of copied and pasted a couple of things for the design of the PC Richard. It was kind of like, hey, Greg, can you, you, you know Photoshop, can you slap this onto this picture where we go? Um, the first car that I actually worked on was, I think was the, two, we were sitting in the 2008 car, was a pipe car that we did in conjunction with a company called Long Island Pipe, where we took the regular Long Island Pipe car, the miscellaneous car with the, with the ends on it and the stakes the whole way down, but we put a billboard, like a placard on the side of it. And that was the first time Lionel ever put a sign that was attached to the posts along a flat car. And that was kind of like my first taste into, you know, figuring out the colors and figuring out the design and doing actual work designing, stuff like that. Um, I'm trying to think what the first car I actually had input into. You can edit out some of this stuff. No, no you're good, man. I, I'll, while you're thinking, I'll, I'll just um, <laughs> put some of my take in. Like, I remember I remember seeing, because you guys at the club um, have a wall of, I think it's one of everything that's ever been made by the club for the club, right? Yes. Now, I do remember, I think, aren't the diesels, like the first F3s with the passenger set, really hard to find or something? Or like you had to build them yourself as a like a club member or something? So you could only get the shelves. So the club bought blank shelves from Lionel. And again, too, I, I, I don't remember if it was Weaver or Sunset Valley, 
or Sunrise Valley. If I'm getting this wrong, somebody's listening to it. And they're like, Greg, you're an idiot. <laughs> so they painted the shells. And when they shipped out, so the shells were the Lionel shells from the 90s had the same screw holes as MPC and the same screw holes as post-war. So you could take those shells and they would fit on pretty much anything. And I think those shells also fit on uh, the Williams F3s. Like, believe it or not, like the, the screw holes all line up. So when you got those, you basically got two shells. Instructions on how to screw them onto any F3 chassis you could find. And then instructions on how to paint the pilot and the stairs to make them match. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, those are really cool pieces. And I remember seeing that. Um, I remember thinking that that's funny you brought that pipe carver. I do remember seeing that. It's like, oh, that's cool that it has that little sign on there. So that's cool that you had some uh, some hand in that. But um, also, I'm sure you know this, but um, for anyone who's browsed on eBay to see some custom runs, the NLOE cars actually retain value really well. Like some of those, did you guys do some of those Grumman, um, for anyone who doesn't know, the Grumman factory was famously, you know, for airplanes was up in Long Island, if I'm not mistaken. And didn't you guys do some Grumman uh, themed cars with airplanes and stuff? Yeah. In the original, so there's kind of the original 10 that was like the first, you know, set of 10 cars that the clubs did, that the club did. There's a blue Grumman uh, trailer on flat car. The regular Lionel 027 trailer on flat car. It was a blue trailer and it had the Roman logo and the Tomcat Anytime Baby logo on it. And if you're, if you're cool, you know F14 Tomcats. And if you're really cool, you know what the Anytime Baby logo is. If you don't, you know, check out some airplanes, guys. They're almost as cool as trains. Almost. <laughs> so that car. For a, for, a, for a period was going for $600. Easy. Wow. I didn't know. And now guys are, guys are still trying to get 300 for that <laughs> one. I don't even have one. I don't have one because I $100 want one. I don't $300 want one. I feel that. And because <laughs> the Greenberg guide is still putting that thing at 350 Come on, Greenberg. Um, <laughs> well, that's how that kind of goes, you know, <laughs> you got to inflate. But there's, <laughs> yeah, there was, there was two other Grumman cars that, because they don't have the, you know, they don't have the, the, the Tomcat cat logo on them. So they're not as hot. Um, so yeah, those are out there too. Those are much easier to get. You can get those for, you can get those for 40 bucks if you're, if you're savvy enough. <laughs> and, um. Yeah, oh man, that Tomcat one is the bomb. I wish we could do a scale version of that. Like that same, that new Lionel scale, that the 40 foot, um, the 40 foot trailer on that like 50 foot flat car with the wood deck. Oh yeah, those things, yeah. oh my God. Right, right in the comments if you would buy that. <laughs> yeah, hey dude, no time like the present. Let's get some, get some uh, crowdsourcing going on that. But yeah, now you guys have made some really good stuff. Um. And then you... yeah, we've had some cool stuff. We've had some good luck with um, some brands um, that reached out to us. You know, we we did the PC Richard uh, trailer flat car, and it turned out that you know PC Richard, they're a family-run company. One of the nine guys named PC Richard is a big train guy, and that happened because of that. And we did a couple of cars with Petland. It's a major, you know, pet food and supply distributor on the island. The um, the guy who owns that 
is a big train guy and he always bought our club cars and was kind of like, hey, you know, if you guys ever want to do a Petland car, you know, I'd, lo I'd love to give you my logo. And we ended up doing an aquarium car with Petland and Lionel gave us, you know, like the different options for fish. And that guy was like, yeah, those are cool. But like, he like asked for like some crazy tropical fish. And Lionel came through and they were like, oh yeah, we could do a tropical fish thing that's never been done before. Why not? And it, it, it was really cool in, in the design and kind of idea process of being told, yeah, you can do that. That's cool. And you're crazy. We're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> that That is really cool. And again, the fact that you guys have this, I'm going to circle back again to it, like that community sense of everybody knowing the same brands that you kind of only have on Long Island. It's such a cool little like just a microcosm of this like old school Americana that you really don't get. I mean, if anybody else can name a place that has that level of like scale to it, if that makes sense of community, like where you have this small, relatively small, you know, area um, compared to the rest of the country, obviously, um, you know, you guys are all kind of stuck together. So you kind of have to, you kind of have to put up <laughs> with each other. Right. But you have this very, very, like it works really well as a community. It's kind of that whole, like you get the, it takes a village vibe from you guys on the Island. And the fact that you have all these gorgeous club cars, you know, that reflect this, not just the club, but, you know, life on the island. It's really cool. It's a very neat thing. And, um, you know, from the outside, it's a really cool thing to see. It's it's almost something to be jealous of. It's a very it's a very special thing to have, especially um, in today's day and age, in my opinion, at least. What do you think, Johnny? I, I, I just I'm just sitting here just looking up all the different cars that that <laughs> talking about and. I was engrossed in the the Petland one because that's also a brand that I I've heard of, and I was looking at all this. So I'm just I'm just distracted by the fact there's a lot they of really cool cars. But it's amazing too how many brands want to be involved. So we had done um, a Nathan's car. So we kind of there was another thing like you know you cast out a big net. You, you reach out to a, a bunch of different companies that have Long Island heritage to them. Nathan's Coney Island. Is technically Long Island, so you know we reached out to Nathan's and we did, we did a we did a uh, refrigerator car with them, which was huge. People loved it; it went crazy. And then a year later, Nathan's reached out to us and said, "Hey, you know, we're having a 100th anniversary. Do you guys want to do another one?" <laughs> and we were like, "Yeah, of course we do." They're like, "The first Nathan's." Um, refrigerator car that we did was kind of like myself and, and another guy did the, did the concept and the artwork together. The second one, the Nathan's 100th anniversary car, Nathan's art department designed that. I sent them a blank Lionel reefer template. Oh, wow. And their art department did the decoration for that. that... And I didn't even touch that one. Wow. I got the file from Nathan's and we sent it right to my <laughs> And they were so into it because they were like, hey, it's our 100th anniversary. We want we want X amount of cars just for us, um, you know, to give out to, you know, to, to, to use as premiums. 
And then, you know, there's always the other side of that, too, um, <laughs> with the, uh, the New York Islanders car. Um, when we, I still can't believe that when we reached out to the Islanders to do a car, that they were like, yeah, sure, go ahead, go nuts. Because nobody had, with the NHL, none of the, none of the OEH manufacturers had any kind of licenses with them. MTH was doing Major League Baseball and NFL you know, with the, the thousand Pittsburgh Steelers things that Mike was doing and that one, you know, Jets box car that he did. And uh, the Islanders were like, yeah, go crazy. Do a car. And then they're like, I don't know. I'm not going to try and divulge too much, but the Islanders were like, yeah, you know, we'll sell them in the gift shops at the games. So, you know, we did a, we did a few more cars than we normally do. Oh, I remember this story. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, um, you know, our price, our, you know, what we sell the cars for is, you know, we're lying out, you know, with a little bit of a markup. But, you know, the Islanders are kind of doing the standard retail thing of 100% markup from their cost. And no one was going to spend $198 on a Lionel train at an Islanders game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <not> so, <laughs> a good amount of those Islanders box cars got repainted. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> So the uh, yeah the the Patentland discounts trailer on flat car, and the um, the Long Island gray and orange C four twenty swoosh were both uh, repaints of Islanders cars. And then as soon as we finish repainting them, the Islanders get good, and then that car gets hot. <laughs> of course, and that Islanders flat car for a while was going on eBay for like stupid money. And I, I sold, like, I had one. I had to sell mine. <laughs> it's like, I have to. <laughs> like, it's going for three times what I paid for, and I have to sell it. <laughs> and now it's funny, because people come to us, and they're like, hey, can we get an Islanders car? Like, like, no. <laughs> like, how good are you stripping, how good are you at stripping yellow Petland paint off? <laughs> but even those are gone, too. You can't even... The Petland ones that we repainted, you can't get. The the C four twenty swoosh scheme, they're gone too. So it's 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 kind of cool that even if you kind of overestimate on something, you can still recorrect and make something better that people might even want even more. Oh yeah, it takes time for some of this stuff to like you know kind of the osmosis of the hobby to say the least, is a little slow sometimes. You know, it kind of comes to the territory. So. For things that you get out and circulate can take, you know, years sometimes. I just looked up this Nathan's 100th anniversary car. Oh my gosh. I had never seen this car before. I took after Johnny's advice and looked some stuff up. Oh my gosh. That's, it's the green, it's kind of green with like a yellow door and roof with the 100th anniversary. Yep. Wow, that's a cool car. That's a really and that was cool 100% car. Nathan's art department. I love like, it. They... We're just like, and I don't even know who the person is that it or what their role is in the art department of Nathan's. And whoever it was really stepped up to the task. And we, we had sent them the one that we had done previously as kind of a guide. But it's just, I think it's so cool for somebody that doesn't know anything about like trains or train graphics to knock out something so good. Yeah. Like a lot of what's cool is people don't think about this too, because like, 
it's really cool. I just think personally when corporations like this get really into their own heritage and other people being into it and go all in on this kind of stuff. Um, just to tout my buddy Brennan again, he um, has these old correspondence from like Lionel talking to different beer companies when um, they were doing the original beer reefers in the early 70s. And they're reaching out to like Stroh's and I'm probably going to butcher all these names and Milwaukee and Pabst and um, Budweiser and all these companies. And like they're sending in photos of their reefer cars and like samples of their paint. And it's so cool. Like with this Nathan's thing, they did almost, they went the extra mile. They wanted cars from you to design themselves. That's such a rare, cool thing for you to have that story and that, that heritage with that. It makes it so much more special. I think. Yeah. There have definitely been a lot of really cool club cars that have come out in the past couple of years and just custom runs as a whole has become very popular. I mean, it's, it feels like every other day there's a new custom run being announced. You know, you always get emails from, for example, MTH-wise. You get stuff from Stockyard announcing something, Berwin, um, Public Delivery Track, Mr. Muffin. The, the list goes on and on. But it's really cool to see how manufacturers and hobby shops are starting to do their own custom runs and how and the community is starting to get involved in that too, you know, being able to make suggestions to a hobby shop of something they like to see be made and that being taken as a serious consideration to a, an actual product you can buy. I can't express how happy I am about how all of the hobby shops and manufacturers and clubs have really embraced the idea of custom runs. Because it got to a point that, you know, there was a couple of clubs the TCA and LOE was doing custom runs. It was cool. It was a very small group. Now that the net has cast so wide, you are seeing so much coming out. And it's so amazing because you've got hobby shops coming up with great ideas. And then now even the community is giving feedback to the hobby shops and to the manufacturers. And all of the custom runs are really being fed by what people actually want. And something that's really cool that I know you guys were a part of this whole thing when it went down, when MTH first announced that they were doing those outside brace box cars, and we were all really psyched about it. And then public delivery track announced, we're going to do a central Vermont. And was like, oh, sweet, they're going to do the Strasbourg. And Beth is like, we're going to do the number from Strasbourg. We're all like, yeah. And then she puts the logo on the door. And we're all like, no. And he emailed Beth. And I was like, hey, the one in Strasbourg doesn't have the logo on the door. You know, like me and my friends, I really think it would be cool if you took it off. And she was like, hey, that's a good idea. But, you know, you and your five friends, you know, are <laughs> don't represent the whole hobby. I'm not going to change things for that. And I think, like, it was like maybe 10 of us all posted on social media. Like, hey, public film trust to do this, this boxcar. But they have the logo on it let them know you want it without the way it is in Strasbourg. And the next morning it was like, hey, here's two options for you now. You can get it with the logo or without. And everyone kind of got a real good taste of, oh man, we can really get everything we've ever wanted. Now that everyone's doing custom runs like this. And then when the, the outside, that was the outside race, when the double sheath box cars got announced, I remember that morning I sent everyone an email like, hey guys, I bombarded every single hobby shop with this Rutland boxcar and this Pennsylvania boxcar. And everyone was like, Greg, you're a maniac, crazy, what are you doing? And that afternoon, everyone was ordering the Rutland boxcar. And it was so cool, it was so much fun 
not doing it on a club level, but doing it on a public level where everyone can kind of get involved and given their input and say, hey, we want this logo, we want this road number. And we're really getting cool stuff that everyone kind of wants but never thought we'd get. Want to support your favorite O-Scale podcast and rock some awesome merch? Well, now you can. We've teamed up with Redbubble.com and have come up with a great selection of gear that you can get right now. They have everything from shirts, hoodies, stickers, mugs, bags, you name it. Heck, you could even get a wall clock with us on it. All this great stuff and more at Redbubble.com. Links are down in the show notes. So grab yourself some gear and rock some awesome podcast merch. Oh yeah, custom runs, man, are like, those are the new collectibles. Like, those are the things that are seriously holding value. Because, you know, everybody, you know, all the old people are like, oh, it's not collectible like the old stuff. I just modern. It's going to fail in 20 years. It's like, okay, but there are some, this is becoming the new, like, really rare piece. Because, you know, we don't get variations, really, the way that old school, um, stuff was made you know like the post for stuff where you, or in the mpc stuff where you got paint variations and you know the because everything was done much more by hand everything's much more automated now and there's you know computer stuff and everything's processed where you don't really get variations and cool things that you can find and collect like that where you can have multiples of the same car now you can because you can do like you said you can have a car that's just one number slightly off but represents something totally different even though it's in the same scheme so the fact that we're able to get this now like you know and get these minutia of certain things like you know um the the nw burke that um brennan and i were gonna hopefully get made um through muffins trains uh of it i think it wore the scheme for like a week or maybe even a few days or hell even a few hours um but yeah that kind of thing is so cool and the fact that like don't you guys have almost the entire strasburg um freight car fleet now made almost it's almost been done and and, and what's really fun is a couple it, it's been a couple of different guys have gotten on board with doing it like i know like beth beth and public delivery track but i'm gonna give i'm gonna give her the credit because she got it started she did the tidewater tank car and didn't even announce that she did the Tidewater Tide car. Just like if you knew, you found it. And like it was kind of like a cool kind of club. And then she did the Central Vermont. And that that really got the ball rolling. And then the Rutland cars. And then for some reason, nobody wanted to do the Pennsylvania Union line box car that I sent emails to. Everyone ignored me. And then Chris Montagna, Chris trains and things. I'll never forget. I'm over at his house, and he shows me. He takes out his phone. He goes, "Hey, for your for your eyes only," and shows me the Pennsylvania Union line box car. And he goes, "I'm like, how'd you do it?" He goes, "Yeah, you know, me and me and Stu from Mecca made it happen." And that's when it really, really started to to really rock and roll because other people started getting involved. And it's 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 one thing when you do something, but it's it's so much better when your friends join in and start to do it also and make things happen. And then I know Chris and Stu did the Strasburg plow, which was a huge freaking thing. Like I'm really upset that I passed on that. And we're almost there. I think as soon as I was, uh, you know, announced to some H21 A's and we can get that one random road number, uh, Atlas, are you listening? H21 A's. 
<laughs> We're going to have a full train. Money. Intense. <laughs> Money for you, Atlas. What's, what's even crazier is I was talking to... Oh, I can't even remember the guy's name from MTH. And pause. And three, Rich, I was going to say Rich, Rich Foster. Foster. Yeah. Rich Foster. Yep. <laughs> yes. Name dropping over so here. I was talking to, <laughs> so to drop a name, I was talking to Rich Foster about the 40-foot flat cars that MTH just doesn't make anymore. And I was pointing out how Strasburg has that one Maryland and Pennsylvania flat car. And I'm like, dude, I'm like, you can just make a flat car. Just put M-A-P-A on the side of it and this number. And you'll sell 500 of them. Because maniacs like me want to put Christmas trees on it for when they do the Christmas tree train. <laughs> and another one with an army jeep for troops and trains. And another one that has nothing on it for, you know, the Lero photo charter. And he's looking at me like I'm crazy. But I knew in the back of his mind, he was like, yeah, we're going to make that flat car. He's looking, at, he's looking at you like your dad was looking at you talking about the baggage car like oh hmm, this is something different i haven't encountered but i could capitalize on this we there's places yeah. this could there's interesting avenues that this could go down if i play this right <laughs> i'm very good i'm very good at people giving me that look anytime like just anything about a train comes out of my mouth my wife gives me that look she's like yeah train cool i'm like you don't understand i'm like this box car is at this place and I freaking called this person and they made it and she's like cool it's brown <laughs> that's such a good <laughs> <laughs> it's brown <laughs> wow you got a brown rectangle made cool okay quick aside here you bring a great point up why does no one offer blank flat like not blank but just empty flat cars anymore do you ever notice that nobody wants to offer a flat car with no load because I think the, I don't, I, I think it's being, I think it's being underestimated. How many people are interested in creating, cre, three, two, one. I think it's being underestimated how many people want to create custom loads for their cars. And I think the manufacturers got really into, hey, we can offer these army vehicles, this bus, this tractor, and give you something ready-made. And people love them. Look at the MTH military flat cars. People go crazy for them. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. I don't think they realize not, how many people... Well, I don't think they realize how many people want to go crazy. You know, John, but you, you know, you, you, you hooked me up. Oh. With that great Pittsburgh and Lake Erie flat Dude, car. The Alice Chalmers tractor car is my favorite <sighs> thing that you've ever made. I want I want you to make me one of those cars if you want to, unless you want yeah. you to be a one of one. I love that it, car. The most expensive piece of rolling stock I own because I spent $200 on tractors to put on a $50 flat car. Worth it. <laughs> you know what's crazy? The guy at York, shout out to the guy at York in the Purple Hall that does the flat cars with the custom loads and only sells them for $250. And I say only because I've done, I've attempted to do what he does. And just on tractors and paint alone and the flat car, that Alice Traumers tractor flat car cost me almost $300 to make. Yeah, but like... Like, I couldn't sell that. <laughs> no, but like a, a really good flat car with a load, even one on a train is like that makes the train. 
but it, it, like the I Gucci belt of the train. Like that's like the the thing, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Everybody, listen, go on my Instagram, OGA's Greg, and you'll see a picture of this flat car. It's the bomb. It's amazing. I love that we did the research too. Where you're like, what railroad went past the Alice Chalmers? But I'm like, all right, got to find what it was. It's like, okay, New York Central PNLE could be acceptable because they haven't done a New York Central flat car recently it's like that works and we're like what the time period what's the you were like what didn't you ask me like when the flat car was built to line up with when the tractors like the model exactly yeah dude i love that that's even more than i would go but like i love that kind of stuff but it was so so proud of you but it it was the flat car that came in the set with the gondola yes and you're like dude i've got just the flat car and i was like perfect it was so perfect and i like did the research and it was right Oh, I love it. And the, That's one. That, it's one of my favorite pieces. And the best thing is when I when I finished making that, and I sent my dad a picture of it. He's like, "Oh, sweet! Thank you for making that for me." I'm like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Dad. You shunned the baggage car. You don't get the nice flat car. <laughs> oh my god, that's oh, fantastic. My, my, my AirPods just died, so I hope I don't have an audio dropout or change. Okay, no, I think you're We're fine, good. dude. And uh, we'll... in fact, funnily enough, you are really than you were before. Yes. Damn it! All right, let's start what? over. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> no, you're good, dude. It's totally fine. We'll cut this out. But no, no please leave this to the show. Don't, 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 do. Welcome to the John and John wrong. podcast, and we're here with Whole Gage Bright. <laughs> oh my god! You can't have everything all wrong like this. You want like unedited. Oh god. Um <laughs> did we did we touch on everything you wanted to hit on? Because we can go straight into the um Japan Johnny, we should do this more often with these little asides. I know it takes up bandwidth or time or whatever, but it's kinda nice to have these breaks in between. Um Well, it's for our future yes. projects that we've been in our meetings this would be perfect would. for that that are wink wink because i'm literally this. just taking note of when we stop when we restart and you could just skip right to that you don't have to listen to it so, so i i guess the the only thing that i could suggest is if you wanted to say like so greg what are you working on now custom run wise oh yes that's and good. let that me cool and i'll gush over my g35 yes um, weird 10 wheeler we didn't know existed um I'll I'll do like I'll I'll try and keep it short and sweet, but I'm probably going to talk about the tender builder's plate a lot, I and then um, <laughs> and then we could wrap it up, I guess. Sure. Is it aren't you, are, okay, uh, John? You want to take the lead on that then? You want to take sure, the lead on definitely. that then? Um, aren't you using a New York Central ten wheeler? Just just personal question. Like, isn't wasn't the New York Central ten wheeler closer than the Penzi one? So it's not so that ten wheeler is not a Pensy ten wheeler. It's an Alco. Yeah. So those road numbers. So the, the G fifty three was not a Pensy designed engine. Yeah. It's, it's an like Alco, and Alco made that generic ten wheeler like for everybody. I love it. I so love it. yeah, so the research. I got listen. I got some cool details. To fuck it to to f word drop. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's 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 do it. Let's do it live. Let's do like a, a a raw reaction. Ready? All right, three, two, one. So yeah, man. Um, doing all the uh, custom runs and stuff. You've now. What's next? What do you What are you currently working on? I'm working on something awesome that actually just got locked down the other day. So 
I'm so psyched that I can announce today that NLOE is going to do a Lionel Legacy 10-wheeler based on the 10-wheeler in the catalog. We're going to do a Long Island Alco G53, which is so close to the 10-wheeler that Lionel was doing that it was really cool that I took their design and did some research and found out that they based their generic 10-wheeler on the Alco design and then found out that Long Island had 10 road numbers of that Alco design that were built in 1917. And what we're going to do is we're actually doing kind of like a late version of the G53. So it's kind of like how you'd see it in the late 1940s modified with a footboard pilot and the dynamo behind the headlight and all kinds of cool stuff. (laughs) And I actually did some research to Alco and found out what shop that they were building, the Brook shops, not the Schenectady shops, and was able to make a super accurate builder's plate for the locomotive. And then the locomotive number that I picked out, I found a random picture of a tender that was derailed in Northport in like 1938 that was coupled to that tender. And I was able to zoom in and the builder's plate was legible on that. So we were able to go crazy with road specific details for Long Island with the footboard pilot, with the headlight, with the spoke box door, with the dynamo, with the builder's plate, with the paint, with the tender, with the tender builder's plate, with the tender backup light. Oh God, I love Lionel. I love when you do a locomotive with them. And they just kind of get on board with you and you send them a million different updates and they're just like, yeah, cool. And they're just into it. And um, that's going to go live for pre-orders on NLOE.org. Hopefully it'll be up live before this even comes out. Enjoying this week's topic? You can join in on the conversation too on our community Discord server. We have a lot of different discussion channels ranging from showing off your collection, discussing the latest and greatest in the industry, a buy and sell forum, and even a voice channel you can hop on call and talk trains with us late into the night. We're a little over 300 strong and we'll love to have you join us too. Check out the invite link to our community discord down in the show notes, read and acknowledge the rules, and introduce yourself and start chatting. We have a great team of moderators who make sure all are welcomed and respected. So what are you waiting for? Come on down and join us in on the fun and let's talk some trains. I am so proud of you that you didn't just slap Long Island on an engine and call it a day. The fact that you actually took the time to find out that they, you know, like I, I totally respect the level. Not like I have done research, like comparing side by side on like steamlocomob.com, like driver diameters and boiler pressures and just like length of engines and weight on dri- like that. I love that level of, of um <clears throat> just of, of passion that you have. Like I can just, you can just tell like you, are really into this custom and i'm so happy for you that you guys are getting this done this way because you know we've kind of we've kind of talked about it and heard about it and everything but like it's so cool that you guys are actually and that lionel's into it too and helping you guys um so i'm really excited to see how this turns out this is gonna be something really cool yeah they're so they're so on board with um when you know what you want i think they're very you know what i'm gonna cut that okay Restart. Go ahead. Um, <laughs> Do you three, two, one.
Three, two, one. Yeah, the folks over there in their art department and in the graphics department, and even Ryan Conkle is always CC'd on all the emails that we have. They are just so cool. To, it, it actually, it's more exciting that when you send them an idea and you're like, "Hey, I want to put the I want to put the backup light on this side of the tender," and they come back with a render that is exactly what you want. It's like, man. It's they got the right people doing the right stuff sometimes, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, we're getting into that phase where they, they have done this enough where they know what we want and like they're doing it for people who because they always say the more info you give them, the better they can make the model. So you're doing exactly that. This is exactly what they need. And I think that's mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of we there should be a PSA in there that hey, listen, we know that. Everyone is critical of the manufacturers and Lionel and MTH and says, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Blah, blah, blah. Listen, folks out there in I want this made land. If you have good information and good reason for giving it and you're helpful and you're polite and just a generally, you know, happy person, they'll listen to you. This and Ryan Kunkel, I know you're listening to this and I know that you're going to make my congressional passenger set. That I've been telling you that I want for the last ten years. <laughs> no, he's never. No, he's no never listen. At, up at Amherst, I because I I have my whole thing with Ryan is I walk up to him, I shake his hand, I say Ryan, it's nice to see you. I do my club car business, I smile, and then I tell him I still want Lionel to do twelve twenty one inch plastic congressional passenger cars because Golding and Depot ones are too heavy, and he smiles. And then I actually ended off my last conversation with him with do a scale T one with wheel slip. I will pay two thousand dollars for it. Wink, <laughs> Johnny. Wink, <laughs> wink. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Yep. I, I think I think it could be done, man. I mean, like I said, just yeah, like you said, people, you catch more flies with honey. That expression exists for a reason. Uh, you know what? It's, it's it just kind of just just to touch back on on custom stuff. Um, and it's kind of come up recently with just people that we know. Um, there's a couple of projects that are going on that I think that some friends of ours have reached out to manufacturers. That I know a couple of guys with the MTH, the P47 Pacifics that they're doing. Um, I think Carmine and Maddie both reached out to MTH with details, and MTH was very receptive. Yes, they of, were. That is correct. Of those changes. And I think I think they're actually like doing really cool updates that may or may not be known to people. And I think there's a sound file on, um, what is it, the F-19s. If that's, I could be wrong, you can edit this, but I feel like I've heard a story that a whistle is being upgraded. No, yep, they we talked with them quite extensively over the, uh, the catalog show, just kind of like what they needed from us to get the right info, and it's producing dividends. We are starting to see, you know, we're, we're, we know where to look for this info now, and we're getting them the info they need to find these old pieces to put in these locomotives. And uh, yeah, I think it was, um, was it Brooke, Johnny? Was that who did it? Yes, it was. Yeah. Brooke. It's, yes. it's Brooke. Yeah. Brooke was, was talking to us about, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's working with, with, uh, with getting the information out to Lionel to, 
potentially use some older older sounds from past run locomotives. Like but that's so awesome, though. I that that's when you really kind of get the the real community aspect of the hobby, um, where everyone's kind of coming together and the manufacturers are listening. And you know, like I, I think it's just the whole idea of like be positive and and know what you want, and have a good reason for asking it, and it will come around. And one of the best things was at York in October when I went to the Atlas booth, and I was like, "Where's the Steam Era Classics? Where's the H twenty ones?" And they were like, "You are the tenth guy in the last two hours to come here and say H twenty one to us, and we hear you." <laughs> Like they're like, stop, leave us Take alone. Hint, we understand. We get it. We get it that we did it. That, that the eighty road numbers we made weren't enough. Shut up. <laughs> Move on. Yeah. Burnsy people. <laughs> Burnsy. <laughs> so like, yes, um, we understand that 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 one at Strasbourg, we were off by one. We were off by one digit. And they're like, isn't the, isn't the fact that we got five out of the six digits right good enough? And we're like, no, it's nope. not. We need all six digits for it to be right. That's not my hopper. It's <laughs> oh my gosh. Mm -mm. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, well, speaking of communities, you guys know that we have an amazing community. And uh, we'd like to take a moment here before we uh, start wrapping things up um, to shout out some fantastic people who have boosted the server and... Uh, helped keep the lights on here at the miniature models podcast so we would like to thank uh the rambles uh hard work pays off tim's trains sd70 train fan uh sd iv tim uh dashing dance trains and every day is life uh we really appreciate you guys it's you who inspire us to keep the show going we make the show for all you guys and we just love you keep being who you are um yeah Guys, we had a great show tonight. This was fantastic. But I see our stop is uh, coming up next. The Tower Man a mile away is flagging the train uh, quite violently. Um, and so I think we need to, uh, to uh, dump the air a little bit here. Um, so if you'd like to uh, get more of us off the air, um, Greg, where can folks find you and your fabulous club, good sir? So they can find me on Instagram. And YouTube as O Gage Greg. Um, I don't know if they need the underscores in between the O, the Gage, and the Greg, or just search O Gage Greg. Yeah, if you if you search it, you'll find it. And then uh, the club Nassau Lionel Operating Engineers. You can find us on the web at nloe.org. And don't worry, there will be a link to order that G fifty three. That is going to be the hotness right there. Yes, indeed. Check out that. They are a fantastic club, and Greg is a fantastic modeler. He's got a lot of cool stuff. Definitely got to go check it out. Um, Johnny, where can folks find you, sir? You can find me on YouTube at Automus. That's A-U-D-A-M-U-S, where I am work currently working on my layout tour video. Uh, it has been a lot of having to film a lot of shots of layout and show off a lot of things that you guys haven't seen in the past two years, so... Uh, if you're interested in seeing how the layouts change, please check out my channel. Uh, you can also find me at Instagram and Facebook at Automus underscore train. So I will be posting a lot of the cinematic shots I plan to use in the video on there as well. So if you want to get a quick, uh, quick preview on there, uh, check out my Instagram as well. 
And last but not least, you can find me on the Miniature Models Podcast Community Discord, where I am reading and responding to all of your posts and making a fool of myself in the voice chat. So come on down. It's lots of fun. How about uh, you, folks, John? you can find me, John Schwartz, at RetroMikado96 on Instagram, at RetroMikado on YouTube. I swear to God, I'm going to finish those year interview videos at some point. They are coming before the next year comes. Um, they're going to be really good. Trust me. And uh, you can find our other two wonderful hosts, uh, Matt R and Matt Z. You can find Matt R at his WC Model Railroad tag on all his socials, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. And you can find our friend Matt Z at Matt Train Lover 9943 on YouTube and Hobbies on Instagram. And as always, you can always find all of us uh, having fun in our Miniature Models podcast Discord server where you get to talk with some fantastic people like Greg here and all of our wonderful friends, server boosters, and everybody else. So it is a fantastic joy, like Johnny said. And uh, guys, thank you all so much. Um, and uh, yeah, you can find us there. We had a great time with you tonight, Greg. Thank you so much for being a part of the show you know, like I said, it's the community that makes everything special, and we've talked about some really good stuff tonight. So, thanks so much for being here, man. I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, Thank you very much, guys. I love that. Wu Tang forever. <laughs> great, great <laughs> thing to end on, guys. Well, we'll see y'all in the next episode. Y'all take care. Peace. Take care, everybody.